You are down with. Yo, Dave. What up? Drop the beat. We like it old school. You know how we do this. What you listening to? The brothers from the 818. 818. Caleb, tell them what's up. Hey, man. It is just great to be here on another episode. You know, as we've been honoring uh, women all month, I want to honor my wife, man. She she woke up at uh, 3 a.m. to catch a flight at LAX. Um, she flew to Montana. She's serving this country. I just thought that it would be great for me just to recognize that because she's doing it. Um, I also want to um, just acknowledge everybody that um, sa- make that sacrifice. People don't realize the sacrifice in just the grind. I was talking to some neighbors and they were talking about raising children. Raising children are hard. It's hard yeah. to raise children. <laughs> you know, um, our, our guest, Alan Michael, he said, um, I'm the best damn daddy I know. And I would like to think the same thing about me, right? But I don't know, maybe I just, what I, what I could tell you, Dave, is that I give it my all every day, right? And that is all I could do. I try my damnness to be the best damn daddy that I know. What's going on with you? I hear that. I hear that. I, I, you know, I almost don't want to take that from you, but you got to be at least second because I'm going to hold that title for myself. <laughs> um, I got uh, three wonderful boys and and they're all on cruise control. I mean, one's, you know, doing his thing in San Diego now. Um, just talked to him the other day. Um, the other two, you know, I came home, they were making dinner, having a good time. They're getting along better. Um, I can just say it gets easier and it gets harder at the same time. But, um, you know, raising children is a joy, man. And, and, and part of that joy is the work. And sometimes yeah. that work can feel like a chore. Right. Um, at the end of That's the day, the end right of the day and in the middle, I wouldn't have it any different. There it is, man. There yeah. it is. So let me check in, man. And I'm going to just, I'm going to do this because it's not going to be glamorous. I just, I just need to exhale, man, because, you know, I'm in dissertation mode. And so I'm like having nightmares about research materials, jumping fences, man. I'm not even like counting sheep to go to sleep. I'm like being woken up, being chased by literature, man. Cause it's all I'm doing is this dissertation and like I'm, I'm putting all this together because in May, June, I'm going to do a defense of my proposal. And then come January, I'm going to do a defense of the entire thing. And I just need to get through these next nine months, man. And I'm just like tired. I'm like, I just, you know, it's not glamorous, but it is my goal. I made this bed. And so I'm going to sleep in it and enjoy it. But um, that's what's going on for me. And I'm just, I'm, an in, I'm inundated, literally, 
with just schoolwork after schoolwork after schoolwork. I'm thankful that my kids, again, maintenance mode. I'm thankful that my girl is patient enough to know that this is temporary and, and you know, we're just going to do um, what it is. And, and just a bittersweet thing. Again, it's not glamorous. People are like, why are we talking about this? Um, I'm retiring my resume. Um, I'm finally at that point in my career where I need to move over to a, a curriculum vitae or a CV because now I have to start adding things like presentations and publications and the fact that, you know, I have a podcast called the Brothers from the 818-91331, things like that. So uh, I worked hard on that resume, man, and and finally got it to the point where I liked it, and now I got to let it go. So that's my check-in up front. What you got? Let me add this. What you're talking about is that grind. Yeah. Those that are not successful, they end up falling asleep, falling behind, and becoming frustrated and stop grinding. And right. so you just need nine more months. Get nine through months. it. So I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that. I appreciate that uh, confirmation and acknowledgement, but it will get done. I know people that have tried it and bailed it. And um, they have what's called a uh, ABD, all but dissertation, uh, meaning they took the classes, they owe the debt, but they don't have you know the final piece because it just got too much. And I can't discount it for anyone. It's work. Right. Right. Yeah. Especially when you have a job and you are a parent and you have a life. Otherwise, um, it's a lot of work. But, you know, anyway, that's just what's going on with me. So. Well, I'm glad that you shared, man, because we need to have our audience hear that because it's the struggle. Parenting is a struggle. Going to school is a struggle. Work is a struggle. Right. And so all you have to do is keep grinding and you'll you'll get there. For sure. For sure. For sure. So um, you mentioned the uh, celebration of um, Women's History Month that we've been doing. And, um, and I'm, you know, I'm smiling inside because, you know, I've just been knowing you for a long time. I know your wife. I, I look at your wife as just, you know, my sister by blood and, and we're not even related like that. But um, um, I'm honored that you showed her that love. And, and yes. you always do that, man. You really stand up for her and, and you let her know. You, you get my official Prince Harry Award. Uh, <laughs> for brothers that stand up for their wives, man. That's just an amazing thing. So one day when I grow up and get a wife, I'm going to stand up for her too. So that's just the way that goes. Um, but as you said, we, we are continuing our celebration of women this month, man, um, for Women's History Month. And we talked about, so the first week we had Madam Mayor, Letitia Clark, Mayor Teston, um, and we had a, a, just a wonderful discussion with her and the amazing things she's doing. Last week, we got to spend some time with them brown girls. Brown girls. And, uh, and that was nice. One of the things that uh, I believe you mentioned there, or I mentioned, or it just came up, is that you know Women's History Month, like Black History Month, is something that's identified and set up by others to give a focused point of attention, right? But you know, we celebrate Black History Month every day, um, you and I, and those that look like us, and 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 those who honor the women in their lives. We celebrate women's history every day, and so um, we want to make sure that this isn't something that just stops and starts because it happens to be March. But since it is March. And it's the third week of March. Um, we have yet another outstanding woman uh, with us to uh, celebrate. So if you give me a little leeway, I want to share with you her bio. You ready for this? I'm ready. Let's do it. So um, she 
is an experienced tech executive specializing in SaaS. Do you know what SaaS, you know what SaaS is? No. Oh, mm -hmm. All right, you can ask her. I can tell you what it is, but she could probably explain it better than I can. Mobility, ed tech, and emerging tech innovation. With her, she brings 15 years of experience and the growth public policy, project and product management experience in the technology industry. It's a lot. She's the founding COO for Edlio, an LA-based K-12 ed tech company. And prior to that, she served as the interim CEO and vice president of operations for educational networks. That's when I happened to meet her. Uh, a leading content management software SaaS company. There's that word again. Before her career in tech, she worked as a teacher and a dean of students in LAUSD. Currently, she leads strategic development for Hopskip Drive, a modern mobility tech company based in Los Angeles. As vice president, she leverages her experience in education, government, and technology to solve some of their greatest challenges. She finds time to remain an active member of the startup community uh, through mentoring with organizations like Techstars LA, Plug In South LA, Startup Boost, and being an angel investor. I want to make sure we talk about that. Yes. She's currently the chairperson of Pledge LA and an emerging general partner for Tama Capital, a VC fund betting on ambitious founders. She earned her Bachelor of Arts degree in anthropology from the University of Washington, a multiple subject teaching credential from the University of California, Los Angeles. You know what we feel about UCLA folks. Um, and an MBA from USC's Marshall School of Business. We got a show. Right on. Right on. Right on. Yes. Her name is Kiana Patterson. She's a good friend of ours. She's an amazing woman. And uh, the, she's the, um, the, the woman that we're going to highlight this week on the Brothers from the 818. So, Kiana, if you can hear me, welcome to the Brothers from the 818. Hey, how are you guys doing? Glad to be here. Good to have you, Kiana. Good to have you. Yeah. That's a pretty impressive bio. Yes. Um, I've never asked you, and, and you don't have to share, but I know you're considerably younger than I am. And I look at your uh I look at your 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 bio and I'm like, man, I'm not doing enough. I'm just I'm not out there like I should be. But um your story is amazing. Uh let me just say that. And, and we're just so honored to be able to celebrate you tonight on the Brothers from the 818. How's your day going? You know, my day's going pretty good. It's a long day, but it was a good day. So we're going to leave it at that. What is SaaS? Before we get too far into it, what is yeah. SaaS? <laughs> Software as a service. So there's a lot of uh, subscriptions that you have, whether it's Netflix or um you know you pay for calendly or some other software that you use now you know um there's all even microsoft has a SaaS. they you have to pay annually for your microsoft word that those are what we consider to be SaaS companies or SaaS uh software services thank you for that explanation yeah so remember back in the day caleb when you get a new computer and you'd call me and be like dave can you put a uh, copy of word on this for me and i'd be like yeah i got you and then, like in the recent years, I've been like, nah, can't do that anymore. <laughs> it's because not it's a, it's not a product anymore. It's a service, uh -huh. and, um, and it it's it goes a lot farther than you think because you know products that you put out or products that are put out now, especially if they're internet enabled in any way, 
um, our services, right? And whether you pay monthly or whatever the scenario for you, it depends on, you know, uh, updates and what version you have, you know, uh, for those of you on Zoom that want to use a blur camera or a blur uh, uh, video filter. Uh, if you're not updated, you might not see it. Certain cars, you know, you come out in the morning and it has a little more features than it did when you parked it the night before because it's a service. So it's one of those hidden tech terms that, that slid up on us, uh, like it's the way to do. But we're not here to talk about all that. I don't want to celebrate SaaS. <laughs> It sounds like it's a money generating uh, mechanism that uh, technical companies have built into their technology. Definitely a business model, it, yeah. it, a very strong business model at that. Imagine you buy one floppy di disk, right? Or you buy a disk uh, one time. I know that you are only going to buy that for me one time, maybe in five years or six years, you might buy it again, right? What if I have the ability to charge you $50 a year and you still want it? Now the lifetime customer value extends exponentially because let's say you're going to be with me for 10 years and you're going to pay me $50. Do the math, right? So you're more valuable if you're paying a subscription than you are if you're paying it at a one-time fee. Man, gotta love capitalism, right? <laughs> than those monthly service charges, SACs. Mm -hmm. I had to remind my kids this, this morning, make sure you cancel that Amazon Prime that you've been using for the last 28 days. They're about to charge you <laughs> for it. So, so Kiana, um, you know, I said a lot in your bio and, and your, your background is truly amazing, but you know, that's what you do. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting that you said that my bio and my background, uh, it made you feel like you weren't doing enough, right? You felt like you, you there, were, there was more that you should be doing. And I think that in all transparency, um, the person that I am is at the root of me as a person who grew up poor, who grew up working class. Um, and so there has always been this thing that has gnawed at me, right, to be maybe overly ambitious. Um, and that is probably simply because if you grew up and there was almost like a, a scarcity mindset, you're always constantly chasing after the more, right? And um, I think about um, the fact that my grandmother who just made 92 a few weeks ago and also beat coronavirus, um, you know, that she was born during the depression, that she only has a fourth grade education. Um, and so the, the who I am is really um, layered and um, it's built on really strong family members who I love um, immensely. Um, but didn't always have the opportunity that I had. Um, and so I want to make the most out of the opportunities. I want to grasp at everything possible that I can. Um, and uh, so that leaves me to continue to strive to be more, um, not just for myself, not we were talking about capitalism, not for a dollar amount, not for a title, but really just to make my family proud. Uh, to set an example for uh, the younger generations that will come after me that it is possible for them too. Um, and that is, um, that, that's who I am. That's a good, good stopping point for who I am. Well, you, 
I got I got a couple questions. Let me I got three questions. I want to hear about angel investors, right? But before I ask you that, mm-hmm. you said you grew up poor. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us where you grew up? Which city, which state you grew up yeah. in? Yeah, I, I grew up in Seattle, Washington, born and raised. Mm-hmm. Um, and I moved to Los Angeles after I graduated undergrad. Um, primarily, my family hails from both sides of my family hails from uh, Louisiana and uh, migrated, um, you know, to different parts of the, the country during uh, the Great Migration. Um, and um, my mother's side of the family ended up in Seattle, Washington. And my father ended up in Seattle, Washington because he was a Navy man and uh, serving on an aircraft carrier. And uh, Seattle does have a major port and uh, naval base. And so that is how he landed in Seattle. And I came along and that made it, him stick a little bit more, uh, more so than he might have originally, but yeah. Thank you for that. You know, my, my, my family comes from Louisiana as well. Um, now, one last question. I wanna to get to this angel investor, but I have another question. I always um, kind of poke at David because mm-hmm. I, I tell him that he's a, he's a nerd and he corrects me and tell me that he's a geek, right? Mm-hmm. And since you both are talking the same language, sass and stuff, you guys yeah. are sassy tonight. So uh, you like that play on words? Um, um, are you a nerd or you're a geek or neither? Mm, I'm curious. <laughs> I'm very, very curious. Um, I like it. And so instead of being a nerd or a geek, um, I've just been really curious since childhood. Um, and, uh, I spent a lot of time growing up alone and when you're alone, you just have, and you have limited toys and limited things. You, you, you sort of, um, your, your imagination sort of, uh, fuels you and entertains you. And I just was super curious about a lot of things. And that has stuck with me. I was one of those kids that was constantly asking questions and the adults didn't really like you know, um, all those questions being asked. Um, it was just that because I was curious, I had a lot of um, th- ideas and thoughts about the world and how I interacted with it and how I saw other people interacting with it. And um, so, you know, some people might say that I'm a nerd. Some people might say that I'm a geek. I like to say I'm just really curious. And, um, you know, you don't go into adulthood sort of essentially saying like, I'm a nerd or a geek in terms of a, a characteristic or a quality trait. I think uh, a more powerful thing to say is that I'm curious because what that sets off in people's mind is that, you know, I or she is um, going to maybe pursue things in a way that others won't because there are people who aren't really that curious, right? Mm-hmm. They'll whole hum along, right? And so I think. Um, owning the fact that I'm really curious about how things work, how things came to be, um, and, and wanting to challenge the status quo, why things are um, the, the way they are now, and pushing back on sort of standard conventions of how we move about this world is, is uh, been something that has been a positive thing in my life in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases. So I'm curious 
because I don't know what's I don't know what angel investors are. So and I'm and I'm guessing that many of our many of our guests, uh, our audience would not know what it is either. So could you yeah. explain that to me? Yeah. So you know, if you think about a business, you know, you and David have an idea and you want to like start something. Um, you, you, you've identified a problem and you think you can build a technology that will um, solve that problem and people are willing to pay for it. Um, and you start tinkering and you, you all build something and you know, to really scale what you're building on, you need to bring on someone else. You need to hire um, more engineers. You need to um, build out your marketing plan and, and put dollars behind marketing um, you know, what you want to sell to, to those people who, are, who have that problem, you likely are going to say, I need to invest some capital, right? I need more money to infuse into this idea. So you can dig into your own pockets, raid your own piggy bank and try to scale that business. Or what you can do is you can go out to a group of people like myself or others and sell them this idea, essentially sell them that you are in fact the right team of people to solve that unique problem. And that it's a big enough problem that I, let's say, decide to put $10,000 into this business. And I believe that by investing in your business, then I am going to see a 10X or a 5X in my a return on my investment. So angel investors typically are people who are investing in founders at a very early stage, typically at the idea or um, you're just getting started stage. And they are people who largely, um, like me, don't have a lot of disposable income, but understand sort of this macroeconomic sort of um, things that are happening in our society, that there is wealth being generated by a number of people that oftentimes don't look like you or myself or David. And in the only way that we can sort of see some upside or get involved in some of that is um, investing uh, at the early stage. So essentially, in short, it's just investing money into ideas and people that you believe in at a very early stage. And angel essentially means, uh, you know, um, there's a, a, a person or a group of people who believe in you early and then post angel investing, you're, you're now generating revenue, the idea is scaling, then you're not necessarily going to have angel investors, you're going to have traditional what we consider to be venture capitalists, who then put larger sums of money into you hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars into your idea, into your business. Those are not angel investors because angel investors is sort of small dollar checks, right? Um, it could be that angel investor could invest 100,000, could be 250,000, but, but typically it's, it's, it's less than a million dollars. And then you start getting to venture capitalists who, who invest in hundreds of thousands of dollars into your, into your um, startup, yeah. And it's traditional, I would say this, and it's traditionally, it's traditionally like you could say, well, I can go to a bank and ask for a loan. Well, in most cases, banks are not going to loan you money on something that there is no collateral for. There's no collateral of an algorithm, 
There's no collateral. You can't collateralize a, an algorithm. You can't collateralize a idea, right? A business plan. And so largely um, banks got out of the business of investing in people's ideas because it's, it's, a, it's very risky, right? Um, so in comes venture capitalists and angel investors who are filling that gap and in investing um, in risky um, you know, endeavors, but there can be outsized return in those endeavors. That's even further than that. Oh, quick. No, I was going to say now I'm informed and thank you for that. Um, and I'll do my own, I'll do my own homework, right? And I want to know, like, I'm the, the concept of angel investors have been a long, around a long time, long before it was coined angel investors, right? And, you know, it was, it was grandpas and, and grandmas and yeah. people putting, putting, pulling money together. And so um, I'll, I'll do my own homework and see when, when it was coined and, and maybe David and I will check in next week on that topic. Yeah, yeah, we, we like to call that friends and family. So you have friends and family, and then you might go to angel investors, then you might go to venture capitalists. Yeah. Your work as an angel investor and some of the other things we're going to talk about leads into this. I used to say all the time and still do to a certain degree, either you're about your purpose or you walk around on accident, mm -hmm. right? And so it seems to me that someone with the background that you have, and even as you spoke on, uh, that you're curious and that the type of individual that you grew up to be it seems to be that your work has to be tied to some higher calling. Do you feel that about yourself? Yeah, I do. Uh, I think it would be impossible to live the life that I've lived uh, without sort of feeling that uh, really deeply and intimately. Uh, I think part of it is that I'm a part of, uh, I'm a Gen X and historians say that Gen X, um, uh, were the first generation of people that had multiple careers, um, not just jobs, but actually multiple careers. So there's boomers, and then there's this little odd group in between, and then there's Gen X. And so, um, you know, while on one hand, I'm a Gen X, and so this idea of having multiple careers is sort of ingrained in us, if I can say us. Um, so there's, on one hand, that's what I'm living out. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, this idea of purpose and what am I supposed to be doing? So you mentioned sort of planting a seed. Well, I believe that there was a seed planted inside of me. And sometimes you plant, you get a seed and you don't know, right? You, you don't actually know what's going to pop up. Is it going to be roses? Is it going to be weeds? Is it going to be a daffodil? Is it going to be a dahlia? Is it going to be a cucumber? Is it going to be a tomato? You never know. Um, but for me, there certainly has been seeds uh, planted in me, uh, you know, curiosity, uh, a mindset that I can be more than where I came from. So all of those different seeds have been planted in me. And while I don't necessarily believe that there is one thing that I'm striving for, one set of goals or accomplishment that I, I have to get to. I just see my journey as climbing uh, the tallest mountain, my own tallest mountain. And everybody's mountains are different sizes and shapes, uh, has different terrain, um, you know, different depths and all kinds of things. Um, so I'm climbing my own mountain 
And at different times, I'm stagnant. At different times, I slide down the mountain. I try a different route. I, I go sideways. Um, so I liken sort of my purpose as getting to the top of the mountain. Have no idea what's at the top. No, no none whatsoever, right? Um, but I know that I'm being propelled forward. And that's the direction that I'm going. Where it takes me, I'm not entirely sure all the time. Um, but I'm, I'm excited about the journey, nevertheless. Well, I, I, I love that. And, you know, something that I struggle with, and again, your resume is amazing. And I don't know how you get it done unless you're just running around on like six cups of coffee every day. I don't um, even drink coffee. <laughs> you're just wired that way. You're just <laughs> wired that way. And so in the professional world, they talk about a work-life balance. How do you do that? How do you manage it without any coffee, without any, without any caffeine in your life? How do you do it? Um, you know, in all transparency, some days I'm not really good at it. Um, and, you know, I start my day, I might start my day at 7 a.m. and I won't end until 10 o'clock at night. And so where do you find balance in that? Um, what I, I do know is that my body and my mind does tell me it's time to take a rest, right? And so I do try to listen to when my body says it's time to take a rest. Um, and so what you, it's, it's blurry, but behind me is a Peloton. Um, I'll go and take walks. Uh, this weekend, I went to the beach and took um, an iced tea and two books and sat at the beach. It was windy, but it was sunny um, and red and just sort of meditated. Um, I didn't think about responding to emails. Um, I just literally blocked out that time for myself. So um, I, I typically go, 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 go until my body and my mind says, you, you've got to take a rest, um, which I don't necessarily um, suggest to everybody. I think that we should build in continuous rest and, and meditation for us ourselves often. Um, but I am listening actively to my body and mind. And um, I balance it with good food. Uh, David, I think, follows me on Twitter. So sometimes he might actually see me posting food. Um, that's my form of uh, meditation and, and uh, therapy, I think, for myself is to follow a recipe or cook something that I really love and then take really awesome photos of it. Uh, I think maybe in the next life, I'm going to be a food blogger, a food uh, photographer of some kind. So I'm just setting myself up for that next life. They say that your plate should be colorful. Her plates are always very colorful. They're, you know, when I make food, it's, you know, chicken and rice and a baked potato, right? Like stuff you can pronounce. <laughs> She's, you know, portobello mushrooms and this type of tomato and this type of chicken. And they're very colorful foods and, and words. And I look at it and it's glistening and I'm getting hungry about it, thinking about it right now. So I'm, I'm just going to let that one go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, I brought up Twitter. You have uh, over 3,500 followers. Um, I find that a lot of times your tweets are one word and a, and a forward or a situation that occurred or a stance or a celebration. You do a lot of celebrations of things, especially women, um, especially uh, uh, people of color 
and um, and things involving tech. And so that's why I follow you. I'm like, you know, in a world full of everyone wants to point out the ugly, you always even bring up the things that don't make us smile in a way that doesn't make us mad. And okay. so I really enjoy that. So that's how you influence me. Um, as an influencer, mm -hmm. do you have a plan with Twitter? Is it just, do you, do you have a strategy or a structure or do you just share your heart? Um, I'm mostly sharing my heart. I'm mostly asking questions that I'm asking myself, right? Um, philosophical, very hard questions, um, things that make me think and, and hopefully things that make other people think as well. Um, remember, I spent a lot of time as a child uh, growing up alone. Um, and, you know, I, I spent a lot of time as an adult alone too. And I know that we're constantly questioning and thinking to ourselves. And sometimes Twitter and social media is a, is a medium by which I can share some of those questions and thoughts that I'm having um, uh, inside of my own brain. And I'm, I'm quite certain that other people are thinking that as well. Um, and, and sometimes I try to be provocative uh, in ways that uh, garner um, more um, interaction, but not because I, I'm concerned about the, the interaction itself. I'm more concerned uh, with um, making people think. And I recognize that there's a lot of times that um, people don't actually interact with the tweet. They don't retweet it, they don't like it, they don't respond to it. Um, but how I know that it's it's impacting and people are thinking about what I'm saying is because then like a day later, I see someone say something about that, that I know, not on Twitter, but somewhere else, in a Slack group, on LinkedIn, in a conversation with me. Uh, and so I know that people are listening People are reading what I'm saying, and they're taking a lot of the things that I'm saying to heart. So I'm mindful of the things that I'm saying because I know that there are people watching. And a lot of uh, our interactions on social media is passive. You never know how many people are watching, viewing, but that's the very point by which you need to use your voice to elevate uh, someone else, something that matters and that really is important and could be impactful. You know, we all have cell phones and you get notifications and so forth. And, you know, I was used to seeing, you know, something that would pop up and say, you know, Kiana just tweeted. And then one day, you know, and it's probably like a few days because I don't check Twitter every day. I started seeing, you know, Maya and Jordan's auntie. Um, and I finally looked like, you know, who's Maya, who's Jordan and who's their auntie? I was like, oh, that's Kiana. So tell me about Maya and Jordan and, and who's auntie Kiana? Yeah, so Maya and Jordan are my nieces. They live in uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, they are the daughters of my oldest brother, who I'm really close to. He's one of my best friends. Um, they're just amazing, brilliant humans. Um, I like to see children and all people as just humans, right? Children are humans just in a younger form. Um, and, and they just have a lot uh, that, that they're capable of. Um, part of, you know, I think you asked me about what my purpose was earlier. Part of my purpose, I think, is to be the best auntie that I can be. Um, not so that they can emulate me, but so that they can leap over me, 
right? That they can be somehow better than me. Uh, that is my sincere hope. I want to give them the inspiration that I oftentimes didn't have when I was growing up. Um, you know, Black children, uh, and certainly in my, in my family, we weren't always asked, um, who do you want to be? What do you want to be when you grow up? Oftentimes I was asked, who do you think you are? And that's a different, that's a different question to a child. Who do you think you are is different than who do you want to become? What do you want to be, right? And there's a negative connotation to who do you think you are? So if you're in a household or in a community that never asks you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Who do you want to be? But you are asked constantly, who do you think you are, right? Then you start to stunt yourself. You start to question internally, yeah, who am I? Who do I think I can be, right? And that is, uh, that puts us oftentimes in a box. And so um, I want to constantly overly uh, love my nieces in a way that tells them that the possibilities are endless, that I will never want to stunt them in any kind of way. Their ambitions are real. Their ambitions are valid. Um, and I want them to learn that much younger than I learned that, way, way younger than I, I learned it. Uh, I didn't learn it probably until my 30s, um, until I decided to leave education. That's when I started thinking, well, yeah, what do I want to be, right? And so I want them to learn at a very young age that it's possible to be anything that they want to be. Uh, it, it might be hard work, but I want to be able to clear the brush, uh, clear the weeds, clear the pathway as much as possible for them. So who am I? I'm, I'm Maya and Jordan's auntie. Um, I hope that I can be uh, of inspiration um, and, and somewhat of guidance. I like to say that there will be young people who are following in our footsteps, right? It is our job to leave the light for them right? It is, it is our job to leave signposts and lights and guides for them in a way that they don't have to make either the same mistakes that we did or go down the wrong path that we did. So and it doesn't mean that they're not going to make mistakes because that's obviously inevitable, um, but some things don't have to be done over again. And I just want to make sure that one of those mistakes is not to question who they are or who they should or couldn't be in this lifetime. You know, um, Maya and Jordan, um, they're blessed to have you modeling excellence. And I'll just say black excellence. Mm -hmm. Now, David and I, you know, something I, I you probably don't know about me is that I served 24 years in the military mm -hmm. and um, as I was ending my military career, I was always thinking about what's my legacy? How will people remember me, right? And um, it's funny because my wife is also in the military. She's still serving, I'm retired. But she ran across a soldier that I, um, that was once in my unit. Mm. And, and the soldier took, I have a very unique last name. And so the soldier looked at the name and said, 
do you do you know Captain Bea? He he was my best commander that I ever had. And to hear that from unsolicited praise about the way that I treated them and, and how I took command of my unit was just amazing. You right. know, you said that you said that you grew up poor and uh, David and I certainly fall into that category growing, growing up poor. Um, we had each other and we kept each other honest and we kept challenging each other. And here we are today, some, some 37, eight years later, and we continue to push each other to do better. And there's not enough people, children in our communities that look like us that have the same goals for those young children. And if not, and if they do, they're not modeling it the way that you are doing it for Maya and Jordan. And so I just say that that they're blessed, they're blessed to have you. And um, I, I'm and we're blessed to to have you as well. Uh, I appreciate that. I think it's I think it's important that we understand that um, genius is equally spread across zip codes opportunity and access is not, it is my job and maybe that's my purpose is to remove any barrier and all barriers that stand in the way from young people um, um, accessing and really fully realizing their genius so that they can reach their highest potential. And it may sound cliche, um, but it really is absolutely the truth. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I approach, uh, uh, people with empathy, understanding that we only know what we know and we don't know what we don't know, whether you're an adult or not, right? And um, it's our job to do our, our best to show everybody uh, a, a certain level of empathy so we can help them see the possibilities of themselves as well, whether they're a child or an adult. You know, Kiana, what I what I love is that, and you and I have never had this conversation. Uh, Caleb and I talk about it a lot, but on a long enough timeline, upwardly mobile people have similar goals. Yeah. Right. And you know, you, you mentioned it's not about the dollar. I stopped chasing dollars a long time ago. Obviously, I'm in education. Right. Um, Caleb stopped chasing dollars a long time ago. He's in public service. It becomes more about the flexibility, the freedom, the opportunity to again, be that example, to model what you want other generations to follow, right? But as I, I was speaking to um, a friend of mine who happens to be white and he's very successful and he was pointing out the, um, that exact thing, you were able to do X. I was like, show me the white guy that you would say that to. Yeah. Right, because you don't call them on the exception because it's so much the rule. And mm -hmm. so as long as you can look at either of us as the exception, then we have to work that much harder yep. to make it the rule for the next generation. So yeah. on behalf of myself, a person who who you know considers you a friend and who just values you, um, and the brothers from the 818 for why we do this, um, thank you for those words. And and we pray that that someone watching this will say, will grab their little girl specifically yeah. and say, you need to hear this. Uh, last November, we elected not only the first uh, person of color, not only the first black person, but the first black woman um, in Kamala Harris. And I know she's on your Twitter feed as well as vice president. But typically the vice presidential role is that of show. It's a pomp, it's a circumstance, it's a thing that people don't 
tend to talk about. They're the hidden person behind the president. Right. Um, what do you see Kamala Harris's role in that um, with her position, with her history and the future she's trying to make for herself? Do you have an opinion on that? You know, Kamala, you know, uh, Madam Vice President Kamala Harris um, is an accomplished woman. Uh, she's an accomplished lawyer. She's an accomplished DA. She was an accomplished attorney general, uh, a senator. Um, I mean, what more do you want out of uh, uh, someone who's serving in the highest office of the land? Um, is someone who understands policy. It's someone who understands the laws, uh, who understands um, conflict, certainly uh, collaboration. Um, you know, I don't see her role as being um, uh, necessarily secondary uh, to uh, President uh, Biden. And I say that not in disrespect to President Biden, but I say that in looking back 13 years ago, when Biden was, you know, uh, the vice president himself, and when you look at historically, uh, the um, Obama-Biden administration, Biden was not a, you know, pomp and circumstance. He actually had uh, and did carry out a lot of the initiatives under uh, Obama's administration, two terms, in fact. And so I don't see Kamala uh, doing anything different. Um, and, and leading the charge and being a leader when it comes to policy and uh, legislation that really does impact and matter. Um, I think, obviously, listen, it's a great thing that um, she, um, it's the first woman. And it's, it's, it's a shame that we got to 2021 and we're just now getting to a woman being our vice president. Um, but more importantly, if we look at the entire cabinet, uh, we look at uh, all of the secretaries, we look at the entire administration, um, and I think that one could argue that her being vice president is setting agenda around greater equity and an inclusive government that really does reflect uh, the country at large. And I think that's super important. So um, I'm excited about what, what's to come in, in this next four years. Um, and you know, significant change in policies that will greatly impact everyday life for Americans. Um, and I think that's super important uh, that we feel it um, you know, in our everyday lives. We feel it on our roads, we feel it in our schools, we feel it in our pocketbooks. All of those things matter. And I think that she's gonna have a huge hand in how we feel that over the next four years and hopefully beyond. Um, so of course I'm beyond ecstatic. Um, and uh, it just makes a lot of my friends and people in my network believe I should run for office one day. Someone messaged me today and asked me, when are you running for office? And I say the same thing I uh, constantly say, never. I'm not running for office ever, um, but it is something that is reoccurring. I have no desire to run for office at any time, although I have no idea what's on my mountain climb, right? 
I have no idea. So I guess, you know, lots of things could be open, but I don't see it. That is not something that I have like put on my vision board. It is not a, that is not a part of my prayers in the evening or in the morning. Um, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, I'm super excited. Um, she's a quite ambitious woman and I know that ambitious women, especially ambitious women that look like me and her, scare the heebie-jeebies out of most people. And I don't care that we scare them or you or anyone. I think that our ambitions uh, should be celebrated and should be encouraged. And uh, I don't plan on stopping or uh, dampening my ambition anytime soon. Before you go, let me, okay. let me just say these, these couple of things. One, I'm not afraid. I, I, I see you come in and I step to the side and I say, go girl, go. And with, with uh, uh, Madam Vice President uh, Kamala, I said the same thing. And anybody else I see that's about doing their thing, it's easier for me to step out the way. And, and I understand racing and drifting and, and drag and all that. I'll jump right in your coattails and roll because it's about you know where we get. Well, I wanted to say future councilwoman, future senator, future <laughs> mayor Patterson, because uh, David has said that he wasn't going to run for office and now he's second guessing it. Who knows what the future holds? But um, Kiana, if you've ever listened to the Brothers from the 818, you know we like to end our podcast with what are you listening to? So um, could you share what you're listening to? Um, I listen to a lot of uh, lo-fi hip hop. I just put it on YouTube and just listen to it all day. It's re really great for studying, cleaning, working. Um, but I'm also listening to podcasts like Freakonomics and because I'm curious about lots of things. And I just finished uh, listening to um, the sort of collection of writings by Jeff Bezos. His book is titled Invent and Wander. And uh, so I, I just finished listening to that as well. So it's a little bit of music, Jasmine Sullivan, uh, lo-fi beats, and a little bit of uh, nerdy curiosity sort of uh, uh, things. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I'll, I'll share what, I was, what I've been listening to before I asked David. Music Soul Child. Mm. You know, I found, I, I found Music Soul Child and I, um, I heard love, right? And then I said, let me just- You are not a singer, Caleb. No, love I am not, I am not. And, um, um, and, and people, the people that listen to this podcast, they know. They know. Um, um, but um, yeah, I'm a great singer in the shower. Now- um, We all are, we all are. <laughs> great acoustics in the shower. <laughs> Yeah. Music Soul Child, uh, he just strung together some 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 albums early on that I just fell in love with. And um I I found I found myself going back to those albums again uh this week. And so David, what are you listening to? So um, you know, I, I, I love my hip hop, lo-fi, hi-fi and everything else in between. Anytime I could just get into an old hip hop group. Um, I slipped up on children's story this week. Uh-oh. And so pulled out my slick rick and you know, uh the misadventures, is it misadventures or the adventures of slick rick, whatever the album's called. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, my, my boys are teenagers now. They're, four, they're 14 and 15. And so I try to bring them in on, you know, some of my, you know, some of my bangers from back in the day. So I have one child that when I'm taking him to school, he's like, dad, you have to turn it down so I can get out the car. And uh, I have another one who's like, dad, turn it up. And as we pull up, he'll roll down the window and he'll sit there and bump his head for a little bit. And he'll open the door slow and leave it open and go to the trunk and, and do the whole thing because he <laughs> wants to see this music that they're going to be like, wow, what was that? And now he gets to explain to them just what I explained to them. And it's not about the song. I take the time to say, you know who Slick Rick is? No, have you ever heard of Dougie Fresh? Okay, yeah, I think I remember that. Well, he used to be his, his hype man and blah, blah, blah. So I give them the history because I know he's gonna go and share that history with someone else. So, um, so Slick Rick's been in my ear uh, for a little bit uh, lately. And then I, uh, I ended my 90s playlist, uh, 90s R&B playlist on Spotify. So now I'm in the 10s playlist. Nice. And um, that song that I highlighted three or four weeks ago, right before Valentine's Day, I think, um, uh, by PJ Morton, when we first began, that one came on. And it happened to be right as my girlfriend called. And so I just made the time to talk to her for the five minutes the song was on. And then I was like, you know, I'm busy. I got to go. So I'll talk to you later, but I wanted her to know that I was thinking about her when I was listening to that song. I love that song. So that's a great song, a very great song. And the video is amazing. They did a really good job with the video. So, so that's what I've been listening to. What you've been listening to is the brothers from the 818. And you can catch us um, on YouTube, which you're watching, you're probably watching right now, or Facebook. You can catch us on streaming channels. We're on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify and iHeartRadio, Amazon Music and Audible, or wherever you catch your favorite streaming podcasts. And of course, you can catch us on our website, Brothers from the 818.com. Until we catch you guys again, you've been kicking it with the Brothers from the 818, with uh, your man David, Caleb, and our special guest, Kiana. And uh, Caleb, uh, what do we say when we let them out of here? Normally, we say peace. I was going to change it up tonight. I was going to say, in honor of Kiana, I'm just going to leave it with this. Stay curious. Stay curious. Love it. Peace out. Peace. You are down with the brothers from the